0: No
1: the right no, house
0: I didn't get We that want to talk to Marilyn Hack
1: and Heck.
0: I'm from Canada water There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy.
2: hello and welcome to the this Head oscar buzz podcast the only podcast that looks like an old girlfriend of jack nicholson's every week on this Head oscar buzz we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty academy award aspirations but for some reason or another it all went wrong the oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy i'm your host joe reed i'm here as always with my pyromaniac dog child chris file hello chris <laughs> should have seen that coming. <laughs> it's such even as like you remember that the voice was crazy and then you watch it again and you're just not prepared for just how how tactile that voice is. You really feel the the pain of of how much it must hurt to speak with that, you know, particular how- but it's also issues. terrifying. Oh, it's I was so gonna terrifying. say you
1: yes. feel that voice
2: and the back of your neck. but like... that's what I think is so amazing about the performance and we'll get into it of course. um, but it's terrifying and sympathetic as as at the, the same time I feel like
1: sure, absolutely. um. I'm I'm more taken and constantly thrown off guard in a way that I don't necessarily forget. But every time I rewatch this movie, and I've seen it a few times now because I love this movie. Spoiler yeah. alert: um, the physicality that she has. I remember having one yeah. of those visceral <laughs> responses the first time that I saw this movie, and uh, she's just like walking around as red that I was so like flabbergasted and terrified and like wigged out by it that it made me like chuckle to myself while I'm squirming, uh,
2: what was we're, your we're get into it. <laughs> What was your initial viewing experience for seeing us? Did you see it at a critic screening? Did you see it uh opening night? Was like what 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 did you do? Uh I saw it a
1: few days before it opened. My grandmother was my plus one because she loves scary movies. Nice. Um loved it. The audience response to it was great. Um I figured that people would probably be somewhat divided on this movie. But, like, I thought I could kind of see and recall a lot of the threads that pull things together. But I gotta say, the thing that really cemented this in, like, my brain as a movie in recent years that I loved so, so much is re-watching it. It's an incredibly rewarding rewatch experience and it's also like when i do rewatch it it's like certain ideas that the movie has activate at the same like activate in my brain at the same time every time and like what i think the movie is like what the movie's targets are yeah. hit at exactly the same time um i do i, I love this movie <laughs> I
2: you mentioned it being sort of uh a uh, divisive or I, I i it was mere seconds ago and i can't remember the word you used but um do was that the sense with the with the reception of this movie i remember it being pretty positively received both by critics and audiences
1: i mean broadly positively received but you kind of like dig in granular you talk to like sometimes i'm surprised by th- I'm taken off guard when somebody really doesn't like this movie. I think that I've talked to a lot of people who think that it's kind of dumb. there are not a lot of people, but like the people who really don't like this movie or think that it has major logic gaps feel very strongly that way
2: i mean I can see that i don't I don't know if I I don't know how seriously I take major logic gaps c- criticisms of a movie like this where it's like yeah like one of my favorite things right, about it's this movie right science fiction <laughs> right that's the thing and uh, what I one of my favorite things watching it the second time that I actually I I wrote this down was the the first title card you get talks about how there are millions of miles of tunnels across the United States that are being unused some for this reason some for that reason some we have no idea and then you get to the part later on where uh, Adelaide and red go into the tunnels to have their big sort of like fight and there's and it's like this intricate, maze of of you know tiled hallways and rooms and labs and whatnot and you're just like looks oh, okay. like a
1: defunct high school or something
2: right and that title card is like oh okay that title card is there so people are like how is this possible and even still it still doesn't account for why this is all this is all possible it's still fully science fiction you know horror or whatever like you're supposed to take a leap of faith with the with the film. And, but I just thought it was very funny that you're just like, that's very funny that like that title card is there to sort of head off that stuff at the past. I kind of don't think that's why it's there.
1: I mean, I think that that title card really kind of sets the stage for what this allegory is going to be and what the, what the fundamentals of what that statement is saying is like the things that this country is built on that, you know, are just things that exist that whether or no we whether or not we know they exist or not are a foundation sure. that is just self-fueling and
2: Well it's interesting to talk about allegory too because I agree that there is obviously layers on layers of ways you can interpret this but I remember at the time Jordan Peele he wasn't like pressing hard against the idea of the film as an allegory but he you know said several times you know talked about how this was a that you know the the black family at the center of this is there not to comment on race but just to sort of exist as the protagonists of a horror movie Mm -hmm. and and the importance of that the importance of you know allowing black people to exist without having to sort of you know argue for their own existence within the theme of a movie um so it's interesting to, because there clearly are layers of of theme to this. And mm-hmm. I think it's just like, and I, and I'm, it's interesting that it can be one of several things, because I think you can read race right. into this, you can read class certainly into this. That was sort of the closest that I saw Jordan Peele get into it when he was talking about how, you know, there are, he talked about sort of growing up comfortably middle class and you know, realizing that not realizing that sounds sort of like a dilettante, but just sort of just like this sense of, you know, we're all, we're all in this together and we're all on the same level. And it's just like, no, like there are, he's said, he has said some line about like, you know, you're wearing these like fancy sneakers or whatever, but like somebody made those, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. somebody, there are, you know, people sort of tethered to the society that, that are consistently unseen and, um, which I think is where the hands across America metaphor comes into, where it's just like this big event, this big sort of showy event that was supposed to, you know, fight homelessness and hunger in the United States and whatnot. And like, is is that what that, that was doing, or was that making a big show? It's of, about messaging.
1: I mean, like yeah. that's this is ultimately what I think the movie is about. Is about like American, sometimes corporate messaging and how it's. Meant especially for like, I do actually think left leaning people are the target of uh, Jordan Peele's movies, and that like Get Out is about racism in America, but racism within you know, left leaning communities, right? Yes, yes, um, it's the I think that this movie is about that type of messaging where it's what does it ultimately actually serve. And do, is it ultimately a tool to keep us all divided? And I, th- I mean, like, obviously, Jordan Peele, I think, was smart to say this isn't explicitly a movie about racism. But, like, there are seeds planted throughout this movie that you can kind of, no pun intended, fall down the rabbit hole with in mm-hmm. that it's uh, – it is – I think he is reaching for something more broad here and there's a lot of threads that he kind of populates that like if you want to take it in a certain interpretive direction you can follow a yeah. lot of different threads in this Definitely. movie Definitely. and I think the ultimate comment there is that you know this is he's ta- he's getting at a type of pervasiveness that permeates everything a type of divide that permeates everything
2: well the most and that there's degrees
1: to those things too like this is clearly a black family a somewhat affluent back black family they have a summer house right like they have a boat well they buy a boat but
2: the boat that he buys isn't necessarily a nice boat you know sure but like that's the middle of middle class right like you're not you're not wealthy enough to buy a, a fancy boat but you're you know have enough money to buy a boat so that's something right uh to take a you know to, to take a beach vacation you know what i mean like yes there are uh, all that uh all that sort of stuff the the most sort of overtly political the movie gets is obviously the line where red sort of says you know when adelaide says who are you people and she says we're americans mm-hmm. and so obviously that's the one that sort of is meant to i think sink in and sort of get I mean- your mind going
1: some people might roll their eyes at it because it is maybe the time that the movie plays its hand the most. And I ultimately think this was a movie people were waiting to pick apart. Because, like, how do you live up to what Jordan Peele did with Get Out? And, like, I just feel like it made so much of a show-me vibe to a lot of people um, that I think is unfair to this movie. Um,
2: but, but as overt I remember as that, that line, line is, though, Chris. In the
1: audience. Sorry several gasps coming out in that like it was clicking for the audience what jordan peele was doing um in a way that i still find very exciting
2: (laughs) well and as as overt as that line is i think it still leaves a lot of room for interpretation because you can take that as meaning you know any number of things and and it doesn't it doesn't you know lay itself it's i'm we were talking the other day off-mic off, uh, off mic about how I had just seen the remake of The Stepford Wives uh, the other day. <laughs> and as, I had just rewatched it. Because uh, it's on Hulu right now. And um, that is a movie that continuously just keeps stating its themes you know what i mean like there is Mm -hmm. no there are no levels to that movie it just sort of like lays it out in plain english and there is value to that i think that movie has its problems we're not going to get into the stepford wise remake uh um but i think even with a moment like like that line in us there is a way to make clear that you are after something deeper while still giving your audience room to just sort of, like, I think that line really lets the audience sort of go off into, you know, their own directions. I mean, I think,
1: I ultimately think that it shows exactly how smart Jordan Peele's taste level is, because, like, yes, he's a populist filmmaker, I would argue, but... That line, even if it feels like it's overplaying its hand, he does kind of back down from it, and that it turns that line into kind of an invitation for people to find the meaning where it is. But I don't think it takes a while for the movie to get maybe until the twist actually to get that explicit about what the movie is about,
2: sure. And we'll get into you know the nope of it all later on, but I also. You talk about you know a movie that has a lot of show me expectation. I I I'm very excited for Nope, while at the same time being like kind of dreading whatever the discourse around it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what flavor it's going to take. But I think I just feel like almost certainly it's coming.
1: Yeah. And... I mean, I'm being partly goofy when I say that Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is my most anticipated movie of the summer <laughs> because it really actually is Nope.
2: <laughs> yeah. Nope. I. So, here's a question, and I guess we'll just get into it now. Did you watch the second trailer for Note?
1: Very spoilery. (laughs) I mean, maybe not, but it gives a lot of plot details. More than we ever got for this movie that we're talking about. Did
2: it make you more or less excited for the movie? Because I will admit it made me slightly less excited for the movie. Well,
1: because it's like a three minute trailer that yeah. gives away at least if, if I really wish they had something done we're still not being told, I would believe it. But it does seem yeah. to give yeah. story arc in a way that is always disappointing in a trailer. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. I really, really, I know why, I know you, these days, it's almost impossible to expect a major studio movie to only give you the teaser and to never follow it up with a full trailer.
1: But I think especially post-COVID, too, because original movies haven't done so well, I can understand the nerves that might be happening over at Universal about it, and like... I don't know. I mean, I I do think that Jordan Peele as a filmmaker is enough of a brand now that people would show up for anything in the way that they show up for Christopher
2: Nolan, you know? Yeah, one would hope. Uh, He certainly has earned that, you know, faith and that benefit of the doubt. And that first teaser really was really spectacular. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, overstate my, my, uh, Reticence to the movie now after the the second trailer, but I will. It just it it dampened me a little bit. It made it feel a little less, uh, you know, fever pitch in terms of my anticipation for it. It. I mean, like
1: from the direction it seems to be going, I am excited for that. But I. I mean, obviously, I wish that they'd shown me less.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 It does, though. I will say there are a couple moments in that full length trailer where. It asks it it raises some new questions as to where what directions the movie's going. Yeah, like it, it, yeah. it, it answers too many of your initial questions, but then like you see a couple things just like, oh what is that about? Like where is that where is that gonna be going?
1: Right. Like the movie, even if it's not like a twisty movie, it seems to at least be trying to muse on some interesting ideas right, and right, questions. Right, right. That right you now.
2: Exactly. It does definitely communicate to me that both Stephen Yun and Brandon Perea's uh, characters are more than just being a flash in the teaser. You know what I mean? Like, I was watching it and I was just like, how much of Stephen Yun are we really going to get? Like, I hope it's a lot, but I. I and he's. See, I still
1: think it's not going to be that much. It looks to be a story of a brother and sister.
2: Well, that's certainly the center of it, but I don't know. His character seemed to loom a little bit larger in that, and then. Uh, you get kind of a lot of Brandon Perea, who I love because of the OA, and he's uh, uh, so <laughs> wonderful in the OA. Um, and I was so happy to see him in that teaser, and you get a little bit more of him. He plays the uh, the um, service tech. What is he? He comes over and he fixes something for them, right? He's the one where Palmer sure. Palmer's like five stars, like whatever, you know what I mean, at the end. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, very excited for nope. But we should talk about we should pivot back into to us because what a movie. What a good movie.
1: I'm glad we both love this movie.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. I think it's it's one of those things where I think Get Out is still of the two of them my favorite, but I think Us is maybe a little bit more interesting to dig into because it is so overtly, like, Get Out's obviously very creepy, but, like, Get Out kind of it's there for you, right? It's all right there for you. Whereas I think Us Mm -hmm. made me work a little bit more at it. And that's always a really interesting prospect to sort of, like, dig back into it. Which is why I'm glad I can do it for this. I I
1: totally get what you're saying, too. And I think it was smart of Jordan Peele to make something. I mean, like, of course it's a follow-up to this huge, like, cultural landmark movie yeah um that was so important and partly like the thing you're describing too i think it goes into we'll get out as a movie that was so very unpacked mm. and like continues to be like as top of conversation but people don't really unpack this movie that much and right. didn't really at the time like i think a lot of people especially the people who were frustrated by it especially frustrated by the way that the movie ends even mm-hmm. if they liked the movie overall mm-hmm. they weren't really led to unpack it um yeah i also think it's an, a really interesting incredibly accomplished like sophomore feature like you see it's such a progression in jordan peele as a filmmaker as a storyteller um that's just really it makes me even more excited for Nope. Um.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's just... He's an incredible talent. And he's an incredibly... His his imagination is really fun. The way... The, you know, the directions he goes, while still maintaining consistent sort of, like, themes and vibes throughout uh, his movies. Um, they're really interesting concepts for ideas it's it's beyond just how rich they are when you dig into them they can still be like you sit down and you know around a you know campfire or whatever and you're like i'm gonna tell you a scary story and they can still boil down to that which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool um uh and it shows you, I think you really get, this, get the feel for what a fan of movies Jordan Peele is when you watch his stuff. Because Especially in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not just, and it's, and a lot of times when you say that about a filmmaker, you're mostly talking about references, what they reference, unafraid to reference or not reference. But mm-hmm. um, in this case, it's just sort of like the the zeal with which he creates these very kind of like cinematic horror set mm-hmm. pieces and, and
1: and scenes. It's also that he comes right out and tells you what his reference points are for this movie. You know, you have that opening shot where you see the literal VHS copies of movies there. Yeah. But, and like, you kind of roll your eyes and groan like, oh god, the Goonies, I guess we're gonna do another Goonies riff type of thing. And it's like, The threads of the things that he's referencing are there, but not in the obvious way. Yeah. And the influences he has, like, the the movies that have influenced him, like, it's things like Jaws, which, like, get referenced regularly, but it's not... Yeah. He's so much smarter than the average filmmaker that's like, I'm going to literally reference, like, the visual references and beats of Jaws. Right. And, like... I'm going to show you the, the Kidnapper Jaws t shirt, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not, you know, everybody's doing the obvious thing. And it's like, he is, it, it's very telling of his perspective as a storyteller, yeah, because of like the grains that he's pulling from something like The Shining and where he throws it in, yeah, to
2: this, yeah. I think that's a good point. I think it's a very good point. All right, so let's get to the other side of the plot description, and we can really dig into it. This week we are talking about the 2019 film Us, written and directed by Jordan Peele, starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Winston Duke's Thighs, Shahadi Wright-Joseph, Evan Alex, Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidecker, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, and Anna Diop. It premiered... On March 8th, 2019, at the South by Southwest Film Festival, it opened wide a few weeks later, March 22nd, 2019. Chris, did you appreciate that I threw in that ode to Winston Duke's thighs just for you?
1: Sorry, I had to pick myself up off the floor. (laughs) The mere mention fully makes me slide out of my chair. It's so funny
2: because I remember that being such a, like... uh, a thing you tweeted about it a lot and it's one of those things where it's like do I only remember this as you know as much as I do because Chris talked about it so much and then you're watching the movie and it's like oh there is like the, that camera is just parked right there for like Jordan this, knows what he's doing truly like that 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 scene was uh, was was very intentional. And, okay, yeah.
1: Winston, okay. We, uh, two seconds before we get into the yeah, plot okay. description. Okay. On top of Winston Duke being so hot in this movie, and so hot in that scene, that scene's also really funny, too, because it's like, it's, he's playing, obviously, corny dad, but, like, that scene is very funny in that he's playing, like, the way corny dad tries to, like, put on the moves and be sexy in a yeah. way that, like, while he is sexy in those in that scene, it, he is very funny.
2: <laughs> well, it's also, so here's the other thing that I thought while watching, and then I promise we'll do plot description. Um, that's the scene where if you're just paying attention to her exclusively, if, like, mm-hmm. let's say you're just listening to that scene, right? And there's you're not watching it. She kind of lays it all out for you. Oh yeah, and and, like kind of spoils some of the things that I think are meant to be that are revealed later as like as surprises, right? As to who Mm -hmm. these people are and what's going on. And if you really listen to her in that scene, she's telling you, and obviously, once the twist is revealed at the end, you understand why she's she knows, you know, what's out there. Mm -hmm. Um but while she is telling all of this, and like in character, Winston Duke's character is like, doesn't really believe her, so he's only really like hearing some of this. But us as a viewer, us shallow, horny bastard viewers, we're there, distracted, are just incredibly distracted by the fact that the camera <laughs> is situated right between this man's legs, like up close as he's wearing. Uh, uh, very short shorts. Anyway, anyway. I think they're boxers. Yeah. Well, but it's, I mean, like, it. that scene
1: right there kind of fully illustrates I, I feel like I'm just gonna be throwing superlatives at Jordan Peele left and right, but I literally watched this movie this morning, and I love it. Yeah. Um, it, it illustrates how he understands a good twist functions, because, like, we as an audience, even if we're listening to what she's saying, he's already laid this foundation of what we presume she means. So, like, we're not even questioning yeah. where she's coming from, even though, like, it's explicitly telling us what the twist is. Yeah, um, So good.
2: Yeah. All right. All right. Chris, I've got my stopwatch out. I am going to start it when I say go and you're going to give me 60 seconds worth of plot description about us. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. And go.
1: All right. We meet the Wilson family. They are a nuclear unit mother, father, son, daughter, um, they are going to Santa Cruz to their vacation house. Uh, we know that the mother Adelaide is nervous about the beach because we see that she's had some type of traumatic event inside the Hall of Mirrors when she was a child there. Anyway, they go and they meet their friends, a white couple that, uh, is not a nuclear unit. They have these mean twins. Anyway, uh, They get back to the house, and in the evening, a doppelganger family shows up and uh, holds them hostage, tries to separate them and kill them. Anyway, they break away from that family, including killing the father of the doppelganger family, show up at their friend's house, who already been all killed by their doppelgangers they killed the doppelgangers of the other family and then they go back to the towns where we uh where the son Ten is seconds. kidnapped and taken to the underground layer, and adelaide kills her doppelganger named red they escape and we discover in the final minutes of the movie that all along back in that traumatic event red and adelaide switched so who we thought was adelaide was actually the person the doppelganger and the doppelganger of adelaide was the original adelaide
2: boom Minute and nine seconds. Very good. All right, You
1: probably need 30 seconds at least to explain <laughs> the twist of this movie.
2: That's the thing. And so one of the things that I love about the twist of this movie is it's not, it's not quite the twist that... Because you see this sometimes where it's just like, oh, the character who we're left with is really the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like anything with twins. Right. Anything with doubles. So the end of this movie you get that revelation, right? Where it's just like, you know, she was she was the tether all along. And mm-hmm. it's like, but, she's, it's not like, she's the person who's been with this family all along, right? She's the person yeah. who married, um, what's Winston Duke's non-tethered character? I know Abraham is his tether. Gabe. Uh, Gabe. She married Gabe. She gave birth to, uh, Jason and Zora. Like, she's the person who was with them it's just that all along she's been this you know this tether who learned to exist as a as a regular human being and so
1: it's also something you have to think about after like i think the ending frustrates people because the movie doesn't really give you the time to think about the implications uh, of what that means and like the further like recontextualization of everything you've seen especially for that character's motivations it it's very intentional that like it's designed for something for you to think about as you're leaving the theater rather than like put all those pieces together while you're watching it because it changes fundamentally who she is and what she's actually fighting for she's not just fighting to protect her family like we think she is the whole time and protect herself she's fighting to hold on to this status that she has claimed for herself yes by switching into the other world and you can interpret that in terms of class you can interpret it in a whole bunch of different ways but like
2: well and there's a line that really kind of hit me this time, and I can't remember what scene it happens in, whether it's when they're in the house or whether when they're in the tunnels, where Red says, and it's really kind of like, it's 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 not really lingered on too much, but Red essentially says, you could have taken me with you. You could have, you know, you could have taken me out of the tunnels with you. And you know, the implication being like, you know, we mm-hmm. didn't have to swap. There didn't have to be this zero sum game where you win, so I lose. We could have both, uh, you know, gone out and then, and, and the thematic implications of that. When you think about this as a story about, let's say, class, you know what I mean? This idea of, you know, we could, we could lift people up along with us. Like our success does not have to mean the failure of other people. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have to, our, you know, our um prosperity doesn't have to come because we're standing on the backs of other people. And, and it's one of those things where from Adelaide's perspective, and again, she was a child, you know what I mean? So it's just like, mm-hmm. at some point, how much are you going to blame you know a child for essentially just sort of like fighting for whatever um mm-hmm. there's just a lot of implications in that but then but as a as, from an adult perspective you get this sense of you know because you made the choice that it was you or me that it couldn't be you and me that it had to be just one of us mm-hmm. that now has fomented this uh you know, essentially uprising of, you know, clones and and, uh, and tethers. I don't know, It's I thought it was an interesting line.
1: Oh, no, I think I mean, like, very intentional and I think also intentional that it kind of moves past it, too, because I think he is really trying to uh, not overplay his hand, especially like, that line, We're Americans, does a lot of heavy lifting for this movie. Yeah. Um, but it's also to not pin it down into one type of overly simplified moral, like, right. context. It's, like, kind of grappling with the whole, like, broadness of it, but not trying to be didactic. Yeah. Um, Especially because it's, like, there is kind of a question there, like... The original Tether, the underling, if you want to, like, reduce it down to the lower class version of Adelaide, is the one who replaces herself into the real world, the upper world. So it's, like, the representation of that is, like, should we not want people to advance their standing? Like, should, like, of course, of course we should want that. And it just creates a much more, like, complex... Right. And, you know, maybe allows you to see yourself in Adelaide and question yourself yeah. when she responds so violently towards the end. Like when she actually kills Red. Right. It's so upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes beyond, I'm protecting myself, I'm protecting my family. And it's this like primal, um, like, Red is basically already dead before she strangles her yeah. and, like, chokes her to death with, like, the handcuffs that she has, which, like, think about that as a literal image. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That it's, like, it's it. it, it I, I felt it this time because uh, Lupita, like, lets out this scream as she's doing it. And it's the most that we ever see Adelaide as she might have been. As one of these tethered mm-hmm. people who right. don't have language that like have these kind of primal sounds that come out of them, um, yeah, in a way that felt intentional, like she was revealing her true self
2: again before we know who her true self is. It's well, and you even got the little so flash bumble. of that in um, in Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker's house where Jason sees her kill the last of the the twin Mm -hmm. girls and that's the first time he sort of gets the sense of like what's you know what's up with mom kind of a thing and um uh you know just sort of you know watching uh watching her the i'm wondering how we should structure this whether we should talk about everything and leave lupita for last because i think lupita is the the bulk of Oscar the conversation for about sure. this for sure so maybe we should just sort of paint around, <laughs> paint the negative space around um, uh, her character a little bit. I want to talk about um, first of all Elizabeth Moss in 2019 because this was the same year <laughs> that her smell uh, got released into theaters such as it was a uh, very small release that did not, okay did anybody besides us watch her smell? Because it really feels like we were doing a lot <laughs> of the work. Maybe we should
1: save that for a her smell episode.
2: Maybe that's true. Um, but I would just feel like I think Elizabeth Moss, with a very little bit here, does a lot with like her her character in this. I think she right. really sells the sort of odiousness of this other family and that scene on the beach really well talking about how she got a little work done and, you know, it's vodka o'clock and all this stuff and how much she can't stand her husband.
1: I think it's vodka o'clock.
2: I mean, it's always vodka o'clock, right? Um, And then, back at the house, that moment where she's sort of crawling towards the camera, um, and then also the stuff with, like, her tether looking in the mirror and sort of, like, trying on facial expressions, essentially, Mm -hmm. um, is... I don't know, I just think she does She does a lot with, with not a ton of screen time, and I think she's really fantastic in this.
1: No, I, I mean, you know I agree. Um, I remember, I feel like there might have been some type of critics group or something that put her in supporting actress, but... For this? Oh, that's Maybe not. I don't know. I, that could just be an internet thing. Um,
2: well, I'll look at that. No, and, she's great. Uh,
1: Jordan Peele knows exactly what he's doing in casting her in that role. I remember when, because... Before that teaser dropped on Christmas Day, mind you, um, the announce uh, the casting announcements were Lupita and Elizabeth like together as one. So it made it seem like Elizabeth Moss might be a larger role uh, than I she see. actually had, and it I made see. people like question what it was and like a big deal that Elizabeth Moss was in a Jordan Peele movie. Sure, and her role is eventually it came out that it was a small role, but. Um,
2: well there's yeah. also a flash of her face in the trailer that I remember people being like oh she's the bad guy. And right. um, cuz you get the you get the the little bit of that scene on of them on the beach but then as they're sort of like as trailers do sort of like move through things and you just get flashes of things and mm-hmm. and there was that one shot where people were like oh she's the bad guy and I think people thought they had had it figured out um with that. But um yeah, I think she's really good. Tim Heidecker's never been my kind of comedy. I know some people really love that kind of anti-comedy thing that he became very, very, you know, known for with, like, Tim and Eric and all this other sort of stuff. Um, has never really been my thing at all. I uh, What was the one movie? It wasn't The Comedian, but it was... Um, the Comedy? The Comedy. Which
1: I've never seen.
2: I don't yes. think I've
1: seen a Rick Alverson movie.
2: Um, was it I don't comedy? know if it's going to be for me. I think it was. Anyway, um, it was one of his movies and I remember watching that people really, really loved and people were really, really raving about. And then I watched it and I was like, I hate this. So <laughs> um, not my thing. But I think he's also very good in this movie playing, you know, I mean, the objective is to play like the most objectionable person you meet on a vacation. And you're just like, bingo, nailed it. I hate this guy. Um He also, yeah, like he
1: just shows up and gives a believable, like the fact that the these two actors are cast in those roles, you kind of just need someone to sell exactly who these people are, just by the fact that they show up as those actors, and this movie achieves that really, really well. But Tim Heidecker is not really anything to talk about in this movie. I think Um, I will say though, like he shows up and you are like, ah, douche. That Got shot it.
2: of him, his tether, where he reaches out his hand to Elizabeth Moss dying on the floor, and then pulls it back and sort of slicks back his hair, I think is a really funny touch by uh, by Jordan Peele. Just to sort of, like, it communicates a lot while also being like, this fucking asshole. Um, right, right, right. I, I don't know. I think that's great. Um Let's talk about the the uh, uh, Adelaide's family, though. I think those two kids do a really good job. So
1: good. Yeah, Shahadi Wright shows have rules.
2: Yeah, she's really fantastic, both as um, Zora and as uh, uh, her tether in this very like her tether is got the scariest facial expressions where she's so like enthused about this all and she's so sadistic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, really, really incredible. I thought she was really fantastic. Um, and then uh, uh, and then the kid who plays Jason, too. Okay, that was my one. I know I said earlier that, like, logistical complaints about this movie don't really land with me. And yet, the thing where he's able to get his tether to walk backwards into the fire because he's walking backwards, mm-hmm. that made me be like, wait, how does this all work again? Like...
1: The tethered people at least know that that is a thing, though, because it's ultimately a trap to kidnap Jason. Right. I I suppose it's maybe overly convenient, but it, it at least explains a certain logic that the tethered people know that that is something that exists and they exploit it.
2: But this is my, this is my question. And again, this is not a deal breaker. I still, you know, I don't think this really affects my enjoyment of the movie. But watching that scene, I was like, is this a thing that all of the people can do? Can everybody control their tether? Does the tether always have to? Move the way their original moves, or is this just like why was that in that moment Jason able to do that with his tether? I, right, I didn't right. I don't understand the mechanics of that is what I will just say um and it and it coming at such a pivotal moment, I was like, well, that seems convenient um, but anyway, I get what your point is' just like ultimately it allows red to to abduct Jason, but
1: I do appreciate that Jason as a character, whether it's his age or just. Uh, it, it, Jordan Peele intends it as a definitional thing for Jason that he's kind of soft boy. Yeah. He's a little skittish and scared. Yeah, he has this mask the whole time. I love the, the the mask is so good. It's such a good touch at the end that after he looks at his mom and realizes who she is, even if he doesn't know for a fact, but like we get the sense he realizes, and then he puts on the mask, and then yes. you can interpret that
2: in. Any way you want to, yes. but like
1: that is a loaded moment. Um
2: Is that supposed to be a knockoff Chewbacca mask? Is that what we're we're meant to to think? I mean, maybe. I was trying to figure sure. that out. Like, what is this supposed to be? Was, it, was this just like generic Bigfoot kind of thing, or was this like somebody was selling cheap Star Wars knockoffs or something like that?
1: I think it's a fair. I mean, like regardless of what it, the mask itself is supposed to be. I think it's a really. You know I hate, like, the obvious 80s nostalgia and stuff. Like, you know that, like, nothing makes me roll my eyes harder than, like, the Stranger Things of it all. Why does that bother you so much? You just take the most obvious things of, like, those cultures and, like, of, like, 80s culture and lean into it. But, like, that type of plasticky mask is like such a specific like 70s and 80s toy that like doesn't feel obvious. So I love that touch.
2: I'm never bothered by that. I'm never bothered <sighs> by by that kind of like kitschy throwback reference. I am stuff. because it's always the same thing. It's always the
1: same reference points and it's always the same reference, ploy- reference points deployed in the same way. Alright. I'll give you that. And I think that like in this movie Jordan Peele has a lot of those reference points but he's more granular in what he's referencing and deploys it in a way that you might not even notice it if you're not paying attention. You sure, know? Sure, sure. Like
2: sure, sure, sure. Yes. Um did you notice the girl from Moonrise Kingdom in this movie? Because I see her in this cast list and now I'm trying to figure out who she would have been. Is she
1: one of the twins or is she no. like
2: in the She's not one she, of the twins.
1: Is she in the carnival?
2: She might be some like a person at at the carnival somewhere. I'm trying to think of like, is there like a news reporter that we see or something like that? Maybe that's who it was. Like, I, I now I want to
1: see the we see the like news footage when they're at the Tyler's house after they've all been killed. Right. That's my that's my one like lurching moment with this movie. It's like you like an info dump, but like I do think it slows. It, it, it's the movie struggles to get into its third act is my one qualm with this
2: movie well my other thing is and i get that you want to set up the the visual at the end where it's the hands across america you know they're everywhere they've done this everywhere but and I it's think- like
1: that's the moment that the movie chooses to tell you what's going on in a big picture sense and i do think you do have to do that i just
2: But once you've seen it comes to
1: kind of a halt,
2: once you've seen the Tyler family get slaughtered that way, you understand that it's more than just the Wilsons, right? You understand Mm -hmm. that it's more than just the central family. You understand that it's, you know, that there's some kind of coordinated thing happening. So I don't know whether you necessarily need that news report because then you also later on see the stuff on the boardwalk. And and so maybe- Well,
1: I think it's maybe trying to establish it as like something that's happening globally and not- Sure. um, But then you- Which like I like because I do think- some of the themes Jordan Peele is going after are not just like American problems, right? Like right, it's, right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's definitional to America, but like, yeah, you know, there's power structures all over the world, yeah,
2: et cetera. Um, Winston Duke very good in this movie. Uh, he and Lupita so together so again after Black Panther, which was the year before this, and um, yeah, he's a re- he's he's quite good as both gabe and also abraham who is uh terrifying with that sort of like croaking scream out when he's you know on the boat and he's sort of like screaming uh into the wild when you when you get the sense that he's waiting for like a response from this has a very um end of the invitation sense to it sometimes where you sort of the the end of the invitation where all the red lanterns are everywhere spoiler but also you've had plenty of time to see the invitation it's a great movie. Uh, Karen Kusama forever okay um but that was that sense to me was just like you know you can there are a lot of moments where you hear sort of like screaming in the very 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 far distance and you can tell Mm that like other things are happening around um but yeah Winston
1: Duke I put on my supporting actor ballot that year did you
2: yeah He's good in this. He's very good. He's
1: just... A, it's a great comedic performance, but also it's... He balances out the movie so well, and I do think there is an element to, like you mentioned, his tethered character, Abraham, that... He Winston Duke is so smart in how this character represents a certain type of protective masculinity, you know, different types of fathers and like protectiveness and that it might come from the same place. And sometimes it's brutality and sometimes it's, you know, corny dad.
2: Well, there's Um, also this movie gets a little bit of mileage out of this sense of that. The dad assumes that he's going to be the person who's going to be in charge of protecting his family. Mm -hmm. And very overtly, Adelaide is like, you are not in charge right now. I am now (laughs) taking control. I am now calling these shots. And... Um, I
1: love the scene between the family when they're getting back in the car to go to the boardwalk after they're leaving the Tyler's family yeah. where they're all gauging how many people
2: they've Yes, yes yes who makes gets to drive them in control. Yes. <laughs> uh that was very funny. Also uh Gabe mentioning Home Alone is just very funny where he's just like I thought we could set some booby traps like in Home Alone. Um She's like,
1: we're not putting micro machines down, and the one kid's yeah. like, "What are micro what? machines?" And no, the, the girl goes, What's,
2: "What's Home Alone?" alone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, that's a joke that like, that's a well built joke. That is like Jordan Peele, uh, you know, being like, "Yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a great comedian too." Remember, don't forget. Um Jordan Peele's story is really really fascinating obviously and it's one of those things where it's like you don't got to dig you know the story is just like you know Kean Peele is this great sensation as a as a sketch show on Comedy Central I think for a long time, it took a while for them to sort of reach this mainstream appeal of like, Oh, these guys are doing sketch maybe better than anybody on television right Mm -hmm. now. Obviously the Obama stuff really, really helped them go viral on a lot of occasions that, you know, the anger translator, uh, all that sort of stuff. Jordan Peele does a phenomenal Obama is the other thing for as much as Keegan got a ton of attention for the anger translator part of it. um, Jordan Peele's Obama is very, very funny. And, um, I don't know, just like the two of them together. Key and Peel's a really, really fantastic show, and I uh, should figure out where it's streaming because that would be a great like uh, show. I would to watch imagine Paramount Plus because it was
1: a Comedy Central show.
2: It's true, although Paramount Plus doesn't always have all the shows that you think that they should. But um, right. Right, that's right, a, right, right, that's a that's a that's a side uh, thing. So he comes out with Get Out in twenty seventeen, directorial debut, completely outside of the genre that you think uh, he's gonna move into when he moves into making movies that was a trailer that i remember like flipped people out because people were like what's going on here but immediately as soon as you saw that trailer you were like i need to see this movie i need to see mm-hmm. what's going on with this thing it was an incredible um an incredible sort of like You know, moment for him where it's just like immediately you're like, you know what filmmaker (laughs) I'm really excited to see right now is Jordan Peele because of that trailer. It was really, really phenomenal. Um, And like one of the great career pivots. And it's not like he's like left comedy behind. He'll still like, you know, show up in, you know, certain movies or whatever, TV shows playing Uh, a comedic part but like in terms of a career pivot into filmmaking in a very specific genre that he is now stuck with for three movies um really really kind of incredible and then he goes and wins the screenplay oscar nominated for best picture and wins best original screenplay for his first standing O. right it was amazing that was that was a category because it was uh who else besides Get out and ladybird i remember that being like i remember being like as long as it's jordan peel or greta gerwig i will be happy if it's martin <laughs> mcdonough i'm going to be pissed um shape of water right and which was never what was the fifth one yeah. the fifth one was it was the oh, fifth one something that felt like an active challenger no it was the big sick which i also loved i knew oh, they weren't right. going to win but i was like yeah. i loved um uh, kumail and emily and i thought i was so happy that they got nominated um and they were when i interviewed them they talked about how they're like we know jordan from like forever i saw when jordan peele was on seth myers they talked about how they had been like 20 years a 20 year long friendship or whatever with them like he's was very sort of like in with a lot of these comedy guys that was his that was his uh sort of crowd and so when I interviewed Emily and Camille, they're like, yeah, like we're friends with Jordan from like forever. It's amazing that we get to be on this award circuit, sort of like palling around with him. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting category. It felt very much up in the air who was going to win up until the moment that they read the winner,
1: which um, I felt strongly get out was going to win because I, as much as I probably didn't want to admit it, knew that for like Ladybird it was lucky to get the nominations that it got and that the nominations were probably the prize for that movie
2: i don't and know i don't know if i agree with that i i ultimately
1: kind of do think that about that movie um and maybe it was it's some of like little women being kind of underwhelmingly received um by you know establishment types um And, you know, the way that the Oscar voting goes down to the narratives that surround like certain movies, too, it's like it's they do spread wealth now. And I figured it wouldn't be three billboards for screenplay because it was so solid that it was winning those two acting Oscars.
2: Well, that I definitely agree with. I I remember Best Picture that year was so competitive and for I think you can look back now and be like, well, obviously, Shape of Water it had all of those craft nominations, and and you know, and Del Toro was winning best director and whatever. But like a lot of people were predicting a split between director and picture that year, and Three Billboards had been the front runner for a lot of that up until uh, McDonough doesn't get the best director nomination. Everybody was kind of already pre. Angry that free billboards was gonna win best Picture. I remember that being one of my favorite moments I do love when internet when Twitter discourse gets deflated and gets you know everybody gets to look a little bit silly and that was one of my favorite moments where he doesn't get nominated and all of a sudden it's probably not gonna win and I was just like, all right now everybody can calm the fuck down about this movie and whatever and three Billboards was probably never
1: gonna win even if he got that nomination it's Shape of water even though it is a movie that opens with a mute woman masturbating it is the closest thing to a play down the middle.
2: But we for... see that now, though. We see that in hindsight. And at the time, it still felt like it was a... F- I thought, my interpretation of it was, this really feels like a four-way race with, like, th- things that are more likely to win than others. But I thought Shape of Water, Get Out, Ladybird, and Three Billboards all had a reasonable claim to Best Picture pretty- into pretty late into that season. And... The thing about Three Billboards was, if it doesn't win Best Picture, you're right, it's definitely going to win for McDormand and Rockwell, so that's going to be fine. And so you looked at original screenplay, or at least I did, and was like, okay, this is going to be the one where one of these two movies gets its consolation prize, and the other one's going to probably win nothing. And that was the case, and I just thought it was going to be – I just thought it was a real toss-up between Get Out and Lady Bird with the outside chance that Three Billboards could just – they could get greedy with that one and give it to to that one anyway. Um, And again, thrilled for Jordan Peele and was super excited and would have felt the same for Greta Gerwig. And that was the other thing. It was like, there was still that like uh, sort of landmark nature of both of their best director nominations. I was so, that was the other Mm -hmm. thing is you weren't super confident going into the nominations that one or both of them was going to get shut out of best director. And I was really thrilled that they both got nominated because there was definitely a world where that was not a sure thing.
1: No, totally not. Um, And I mean, maybe people had overconfidence in Martin McDonough. Did McDonough not get DGA to?
2: I thought he did, but give me half a second to look that up while you uh, while you keep talking.
1: Because I thought, I, th- something like that, and then people justify it as like, well, uh, DGA is more popular. It's like, well, maybe it's also that Three Bull Awards isn't as strong as people think it is. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on.
2: Directors Guild America Awards.
1: Because, 20- like, it is true that the DGA is a little bit more mainstream taste, because, like, the DGA is also, like, commercial directors, and... DGA
2: yeah. was... Guillermo del Toro won, uh... Gerwig, P.L. McDonough, and Christopher Nolan were the other nominees.
1: So wait, what's the Paul Thomas Anderson the one, got nominated? Paul Thomas for the Anderson, Oscar. right, because Phantom Thread
2: came on strong at yes. the end. Yes, yes, yes. Which was like, again, like, film Twitter really got everything it wanted there, and they really didn't have anything to complain about. And that was the thing that I found very <laughs> funny. I was just like, oh, well, look, now we don't have anything to complain about for a moment. And like, this will probably last half a day, but I'll enjoy that half a day for, for as long as it lasts. So, um,
1: yeah. right. Because then people tried to, some people tried to, pivot to being like well Shape of Water is so square Shape and of Water is like, such do a predictable you know what that's about? it's about fish fucking like, that's
2: the thing people really like tried to paint that movie into and I was I, like I definitely made the argument early in that season that like we're underestimating Shape of Water because it's the most reverent to classic Hollywood uh, and, and the fact that it manages to make a movie that's reverent of classic Hollywood in the middle of the fresh Me Too era that manages to have a love story that is neither a about a man nor the studio system um, (laughs) that I was like, this is like, it's, it was a love letter to studio filmmaking without being about the studio system. It was, it was a love story without being about a a, a man. Um, So I was like, this is perfect. This is about a fish and it's about, you know, uh, vibes. And, but even still, try I mean, and-
1: it's my least favorite of these three movies. But like sure. this best picture lineup just felt so fucking cool. Yes, to have yes. Get Out and Lady Bird there as well. There is things that like on paper and like for what those movies are actually like showing you and offering you are very atypical to Oscar movies. And it's like I, you always kind of want to root for those, especially when they're that good as those movies are. Yes, it it what a gift. And I do ultimately think that's part of why people leaned in so hard on hating Three Billboards, because it felt like it was, you know,
2: soiling that, you know. Right. Even with the Three Billboards, even if you, like, think that Three Billboards is the most vile and evil and terrible movie that's ever existed, which none of those things are true, um, it's a really... Cool Oscar lineup all around, like not just Best Picture, but like there were some really. That was the year that Denzel Washington got the surprise nomination for Roman J. Israel. Um, even stuff like down to like, like Leslie Manville getting the Phantom Thread nomination is pretty rad. The fact that Laurie Metcalf all of a sudden was an Oscar nominee, like that again, she was such a she had been such a consistent performer in the Critics Awards that year that you sort of take for granted the fact that like if you would when we saw Lady Bird. As a prospect, like, that was not an easy sell for an Oscar. This is a small movie about a girl mm-hmm. and her mom. Like, the Oscars don't really go for that. And, like, I think sometimes people, and myself included, can sort of l- overlook the fact that, you know, there are really interesting nominations happen happening just because by the time they happen, it feels like, well, of course. You know what I mean? Well, of course right. that happened. Well,
1: I mean, even the the trajectory of Get Out, too, because it was February release, made so much money, people never stopped talking about it. Yeah, And as we were moving into the summer of that year, it really kind of started the percolating question of, like, is this going to be a movie that deserves the push and doesn't get it? And, like, weren't they, like, sending, like, people from Get Out to Telluride— basically for no reason and like they made it very clear before like the fall festivals started that they were going to give the movie a push which was like yeah. i remember at the time feeling like a relief
2: oh there was there was intentionality from even before the fall festivals like cuz get out got released in february yeah there were as did us they were doing they were or doing this was march they were doing events in the spring like they were doing events uh to really like prime that system really early to really like make sure that people started thinking about this movie as the kind of movie that could get oscar nominations and i remember that happening very early like universal did a very very good job um campaigning that movie and and obviously almost to the really point that off. i
1: question like they push so hard to get it to be considered to be a movie or to be an oscar movie and to like not drop the ball and like really make the academy early on take note of it i don't remember it being quite so early but um I remember. Being I almost pretty... question if, like, the end game was to get it to be an Oscar player, but not like I do think that could have been a Best Picture winner, but they didn't play to win that Oscar.
2: I don't know. I mean,
1: in the campaign,
2: yeah, I hear you. I I sometimes want to make sure at this that I frame things as like. It's great to win the Oscar. It's great to be the Oscar winner,
1: but like, it's not the end all be all. It's
2: not the end all be all. Like being such a get out is going to have
1: a longer life as a movie than The Shape of Water is, and that's just
2: well, and and just the fact that Get Out was in that conversation all year and was you know it got the nominations, it got, and it did end up getting a screenplay Oscar. Like that's its legacy. Like the fact that it did not win Best Picture does not, I think, affect that movie's legacy um, at all. I will. I uh, just. Going back very quickly, just to the, you know, how early that stuff started with get out. I remember, and it might not have been Kyle Buchanan, but I think I had I was dming with Kyle like pretty early into that Oscar season, and he was like, they're really like because Kyle like knows shit and talks to people who like, you know, make decisions yeah. and whatever. And he was just like, they are they're uh they're moving on this one soon. They're moving on this one early and and uh, and good for universal. and I think. With us, for as much as us ends up not getting nominated for anything, I think genre wise, us is an even harder sell than get out because it is much more of a monster movie. And right. But like Universal did campaign for for at least for Lupita. I think well. Lupita
1: was sixth.
2: I think yes, I absolutely think she was sixth. We'll get we'll sort of uh let's pivot to her now. But I think the one thing um while we're still on universal for half a second the one thing that tips me off to the fact that universal was really pushing her was she got the Santa Barbara Film Festival Montecito award which mm-hmm. like that happens when your studio has decided that you are going to be a contender this year and right. so that um that's a pretty good indicator let's talk about the performance first and then we'll talk about what precursors she won
1: my god it's in incredible like couldn't be scarier just by being weird like it's hard to just like do some weird shit and be
2: this unsettling um well and it's but i do go for it go ahead no i was gonna say it's 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 weird in an incredibly uh controlled is maybe the wrong word but like she has control she has incredible mm-hmm. control of her instrument and in this. like the yale school of drama training really comes through in this. I was
1: gonna say, sometimes theater kid energy is not a bad
2: thing. It's it's just like, this this is what you've trained for, Lupita. Like, this is the kind of thing, it's just like, it's the choices. It's the fact that, as Red, she makes these facial expressions that are, first of all, terrifying, but also, like, not cliched terrifying. They're just like, human faces don't really... Move like that, like the like, human mm-hmm. expressions don't really go like that, and it is the sense of this creature who has tried to approximate humanity by mimicking it, right? And but also the, just the unusualness of it is so terrifying. There were moments in this where I was like, "That's CGI, right?" Where like like that they like were fucking with her face or something.
1: No, darling, that is acting. That is
2: acting. That is physicality. That is yeah. Ugh, God, she's so good. Her chuckle. Yep every
1: time makes my skin crawl it's also very fu- that's the thing like i talked about this with Winston Duke is the the ability to be scary and funny and incredibly thematically thoughtful that runs through this performance it, 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 it this is it's just a, a staggering performance this like having this and elizabeth moss in her smell in the same year. I'm just like, what else do you need? Um, yeah. However, I think when we talk about this performance, we talk so much about what Lupita is doing as Red that we overlook yes. what she's doing as Adelaide. I agree. Which I do think it's one of those things that, again, is more rewarding on rewatch. And you see the amount that, as she's playing Adelaide, that she is tasked with conveying the amount of deception that kind of has to happen for the audience, but it has Mm -hmm. to hold up to scrutiny when you revisit the movie. And Mm -hmm. it really, really does. And on top of holding up to scrutiny, it's even more impressive. (laughs) Um, The kind of like uh, perched fear that she does. It's like we read it as the kind of, like, fear that's instilled by, like, this traumatic event that happened to her. We don't even know what it is, but it's actually a self-preservation fear. Yes, Like, almost this animalistic thing of, like, you know, when you hear the, like, creak, in the back of your dark house, it's not because you're just afraid of what it might yeah. be, but like your body is responding into a fight or flight yep. type of thing. And yep. that is like present at all times when she's Adelaide um, in a way that's really interesting to rewatch.
2: That's the thing, is and also knowing once you know the twist, watching the way she reacts to things is um it's just it's a rich text. You know what I mean? Like it's just you, the layers of it is just like, what are, what is she thinking? What is she, what is, you know, she devising? What is she, is there guilt there? Is there, um, you know, is there fury there? Is, you know, what is she devising? What kind of tactics? It's, yeah, it's really incredible.
1: The scene that I'm most happy is there, is after the, Tethered daughter is flung into a tree. Yeah. And she goes and checks on her. Yeah. Or goes to see, like, I think th- the family thinks she's going to, like, make sure that she's, she's killed dead. and dead. Yeah. And it's this weird exchange of, like, knowing and, you know, seeing each other in a way that when you first watch it, you're like, what the fuck was that scene? Yeah. And, on rewatch, it still kind of feels like what the fuck was that? But like there's a lot that you could either interpret or read into in a way that is like well, I like that there's a little bit of that intangibility there still in her performance.
2: well, and it's incredibly interesting because again, talking about the twist that's not quite it's again, it's not that she's been replaced by the the villain at the end, right? This is not her daughter. This, the tethered right. Zora is not, she did not give birth to this girl, even though she is originally a clone. This clone is not her daughter. Her daughter is the human Zora. And yet, because she knows the truth about all of this, and because she knows where she initially came from, there is a spiritual tether, like pun kind of intended, um, right. to this girl. And it's the same thing when she watches, um, Uh, i can never remember pluto pluto was jason's tether uh back into the fire and she's you know just saying like no 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 um because again this is not her child but this could have been you know what i mean this this Mm -hmm. was sort of her fate at one point and yeah yeah it's really really fantastic
1: I also want to, like, really highlight how, because this movie is so well-made, it does right by Lupita's performance. Because, you know, when we've seen so many things, and, like, we grew up during 90s, like, comedies, where, like, you see so many, like, one performer playing multiple characters, and it can look so... Pokey to like try to hide around it and this movie doesn't and it's cut together especially in that final fight scene so incredibly well that you buy both performances as existing in this same space and lupita playing two entirely different extremes
2: i don't know why that, you gotta like, drag it multiplicity like this chris I think that's, Uh I said, I don't know why you gotta drag multiplicity like this. I think that was (laughs) fully unnecessary. Um, You know, the movie that Jordan Peele referenced when he was on Seth Meyers promoting us uh, about the twin thing was um, Big Business. <laughs> One of my favorite '80s comedies, Bette Midler. And okay, Lillie but Tomlin, Big
1: Business Disney. knows that it's of like course corny. It's yes, like knowingly being corny about it. Of like, course, yes, uh, totally. But there lives. are plenty of movies where they've tried an earnest attempt, and it looks like shit, and it like yes. doesn't serve the performer.
2: Agreed. Agreed. Um, she was really fantastic. Again, this movie comes out in March, so there's a little bit of an implicit sense of. Um, this is going to be a tough sell. This is going to be, and not only that, but the year before, Toni Collette in Hereditary got really, really great reviews. Again, A24 really did make an effort to campaign her and to, you know, get her on people's radars. And there was just a fully, I would say, genre-based resistance to any kind of attention for her. And the-
1: Hereditary is also, as a movie, a harder sell. Like...
2: Yes, yes, agreed. Um, although I probably like it even a little bit better than us, and I like us a lot. Um, but that didn't happen to a degree where it was like, oh, we kind of like we're wasting our breath, you know, yelling about Tony Collette because like it was just never going to happen.
1: Never going to happen. And it, then, it, yeah, no.
2: And then 2019 comes around and Ari Astor's like back, back, back again. Uh, Florence Pugh (laughs) in Midsummer, who is also phenomenal and giving a great performance. And she is a a person who is really getting, she's, she had already done Lady Macbeth and had been sort of like this, like, you know, up and coming indie star and Little Women hasn't happened yet. It's coming at the end of the year, but still like she's ascendant by this point and yet that was another Midsommar one are
1: definitely probably helped the little women nomination well help, at the very uh, least happened, it showed yeah. her range
2: um sure and but like with the Ari Aster thing, you were just like, well, if it didn't happen for Hereditary and Tony Collette is a former nominee and is much more established and, and is giving a lot bigger performance than like, I think Florence is, is giving a much more restrained, Mm -hmm. obviously as both of both performances are doing what the story dictates. But anyway, um, so Midsommar happens and you, you're just like, oh, the Oscars just aren't going to go for this genre stuff. And so there was a lot of pessimism with the Lupita thing where it's just like, yeah, she's phenomenal, but like, the Oscar, Oscar voters just, like, aren't going to go for something that genre, that heavily genre. And then we get into precursor season, and the timing of this, I'm not entirely sure. But I'm pretty sure that New York Film Critics Circle, because they usually go pretty early in the precursor season mm-hmm. anyway, they give her best actress. And this is sort of, we're heavy into our... New York Film Critics Circle awards as activist uh, as activist play uh, era where they are making active decisions to elevate performances that are not getting or would not maybe get attention.
1: Create some influence, right?
2: Exactly, and so and there was a lot of directions they could have gone. That year, right? Where you're going to look at, you know, one of the other big uh, LA film critics and national film critics both gave their best actress to Mary Kay Place and Diane, which I think is a very similar impulse of like Mm -hmm. this tiny little movie. We really want to elevate it. Um, There was also Elizabeth Moss and her smell that year was a a potential. Florence Pugh, like I said, in in Midsommar. Um, Give me half a second. I want to look at who else would have been. In 2019, for oh, I don't have it in my notes. Anyway, so Lupita getting the New York Film Critics one was like an eye-opener. It's just like, oh, is she is she, you know, in the in the conversation now? And then follows that up, she wins Boston Society of Film Critics, Best Actress, and Chicago Society, which of like the second-tier critics organizations are the two big ones. And the
1: big regional groups. Right.
2: And so like, is kind of becomes the Critics' Awards champ of that year with like Mary Kay Place a close second. I would say I think winning two of the Big Four. I think if you consider, I've always personally been like New York, LA, National Society, National Board of Review are the four big um, critics. You can put scare quotes around critics for National Board of Review, whatever. It's just like right. those four <laughs> are the ones that have been around the longest and. Feel like the most. Those are the ones
1: that are most la- that are gonna have more of an influence, especially if like they're working in tandem, like yes. happened with Drive My Car last year. Not working in tandem, but not like, working if making in tandem, but, calls. Right. it really can yes. elevate something. It can create
2: a narrative, is what it can do. And so, Mary Kay Place winning two of those, but like Lupita winning New York, Boston, and Chicago, I think make I think makes her you know, whatever. In a in a spread-out year, she was the Critics' Champ. National board, National board of Review went to Renee Zellweger for Judy in a very National Board of Review kind of way. Um, right. And then Lupita gets nominated for Critics' Choice, although they nominated seven people. So it's one of those things where it's like
1: I go back and Critics' forth. Choice matter less and less because of that. Well, I, I think if anything they like weed out some of the other... Like, if you miss Critics' Choice, spoilers. you really missed.
2: Yeah, um, basically. But I'm of two minds because part of me says, if you're a precursor, cast that net, cast that net wide. If if you know, elevate as many people as possible. Give Oscar voters less and less. This is sort of the Mark Harris argument, right? Stop giving Oscar voters more of an excuse to narrow their focus, right?
1: I agree with that. However. Don't don't play down the middle just in the same way that Oscar I, might. I like, agree with that. This make, is the thing. Make the fucking cool choices. Have some. Have like yes. your own taste and point of view. Exactly. Don't vote for the thing that you feel like you're being told to vote for. That's the thing. That's the other half of my brain. And so, or like if it is something that's actively campaigned, <laughs> pick something fucking cool like Lupita Nyong'o in this movie. Right.
2: That's the thing. Is Critics' Choice nominations are Zellweger, obvious. Charlize in Bombshell, which like I love Charlize, but like no, like that's that's no. boilerplate. Um, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, which also I love, and I love that performance, and I think it's an incredibly worthy performance and deserved its nomination. But like you're not going off of the beaten path with that. Saoirse in Little Women, same thing. Cynthia Erivo in Harriet. By that point, I know that that's a smaller movie, and I know that like basically she got the Oscar nomination because of being elevated by these other things. I also just don't think that's a great movie i love casey lemons but i don't think that's a great movie and i love cynthia revo but there's no way i nominate that for best actress i know I that's literally argument. a police I forget siren who
1: posited for me, this but like does she get the nomination if there's not the singing sequence in the movie
2: no but i i mean I, yes i agree with that uh i don't think so but also Nobody talked about Harriet even then, much less now. You know what I mean? Like, that is not a movie that has, you know, it's made an impact. It's a movie
1: that the industry liked more than anyone else, probably.
2: She got... I mean, Cynthia Revo being a great crossover from Broadway, there was a lot of enthusiasm that this is somebody who can be a really exciting presence in movies because she's a great performer, but she's also a great singer. And on that level... It's cool that she's already an Oscar nominee. She's already gotten over that. high. Yeah. At a career level, I I like that. As a performance and as a movie, I could do without both of it. So whatever. Um. Uh. And then the sort of off consensus. Then so it's the five women who ultimately got Oscar nominated, uh, also got Critics Choice, and then it's Lupita and then Aquafina for um the farewell. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Um, yes, who also wins the comedy globe. Who also wins the comedy globe right and yet never seemed like a serious best actress contender that year despite those two things. right?
1: Right. they they were pushing harder for maybe not pushing harder, but like the one that it was clear that they wanted was supporting actress. Yes and it mm. honestly made less headway than lead actress did and it probably helped that. Aquafina was already famous.
2: Yes, yes. So anyway, that was Critics' Choice, and then the big one for Lupita, the one where I finally was like, "Oh, maybe she is going to get this Oscar nomination." She gets. Uh, she's a part of the SAG uh, shortlist, mm-hmm. the SAG nominations. So again, Zellweger, Zellweger's winning all of these. Zellweger won everything. Um, Zellweger, Charlize, Scarlett Johansson, Cynthia Erivo, and then Lupita ends up being ultimately the outlier who doesn't get the Oscar nomination. So that was the that was. That year at SAG, Little Women was the now traditional, one of these movies didn't get screeners out early enough. And, like, clearly, like, Little Women, I don't know. I think it's obvious that, like, the fact that uh, Saoirse, Florence Pugh, and then the ensemble, none of them made it. And so... I I really kind of... I mean, maybe they—I
1: mean, I actually think it's not so much screeners for SAG as it is those, like, SAG Q&A screenings that are really important. And maybe they didn't do it for that movie. Because, like, they've made a lot of room and they've established a lot of people, like— Troy Cotter and Coda early on because they do a lot of movies that do a lot of screening specifically for SAG. Sure.
2: And I mean, maybe it's a combination of the both. Of them. But anyway, SAG tends to. The thing was about like screeners getting out. Like I had my. I
1: You know, I hate talking about screeners. Uh, I had mine for Little Women in like November.
2: Oh, see, I, Little Women was one of the last ones that I got. I don't think I ever got a physical screener. I only got the digital. Uh, I think
1: I one. had mine for Thanksgiving.
2: Oh, interesting. The vagaries not, of who gets the but... word screeners. But anyway, um, regardless of why little women, little women is not on SAG's radar. So ultimately, yeah. Um Sersha gets the the Oscar nomination. Of those five, Sersha's the only one I wouldn't put I wouldn't sacrifice to have Lupita nominated. I do think And
1: yet I do think she was probably fifth place
2: in SAG. Oh, Saoirse. You think Saoirse in the Oscar voting was probably in fifth place? Yeah. Oh,
1: in the Oscar voting, yeah. I think at yeah. least for the nomination, she was fifth place. Yeah,
2: I think that's probably true. So, Lupita doesn't get the Oscar nomination. It was Us's only real point of contendership in the Oscar race that year. Um, a lot of people cried snub, and and you know, rightfully so. Even though I still feel like that movie had such a genre hill to climb up, and um,
1: it did. And I ultimately think. I think if this movie was released in October, I think she might have gotten the nomination.
2: Yeah. I mean, there is, there is something to be said for that was a movie that was probably going to take a long time to convince people that this is something you should be taking seriously. Mm-hmm. So maybe October doesn't give you enough time to do that. I don't think it's a... I don't know. And I also feel like if you release it in October with all these other...
1: It might be easier to reduce as a, just a scary movie.
2: Yes, and I and and also all these other Oscar contenders are opening around that time, and you're just like, oh, okay, something that I don't have to talk about in the context of Oscar. It's a horror movie, and so, um, yeah, I think something like I think they needed, and again, they were following the Get Out blueprint of, um, if we release it early in the year, we can we can make our case, right? We can argue. I mean,
1: our case. I, I I I hear all of that. But I do also wonder if she is still elevated to a certain point because she is already an Oscar winner. That's true. Like, well, it, we've seen this before with a lot of other people, and I don't know why it doesn't apply to her, that like you win an Oscar and it makes you a lot easier to be nominated again. But then again, there's... A large number of people who, like the Alicia Vikanders of the world, you will never be nominated again. Well,
2: and also, Lupita Nyong'o is a very specific case where and there's a lot of reasons for this and we can, you know, talk about whatever. Her post-Oscar career is very, very, very thin. And not in terms Mm -hmm. of quality necessarily, although the quality of roles we can talk about. But, like, she went and did uh, Broadway god why can i not remember the title of that play that i definitely saw um eclipsed she she yep. does uh, uh starting with off broadway and then it got uh, moved to broadway uh this play eclipse that was written by uh denai guerrera and um she's phenomenal in it she's very good uh that was if not exactly post-oscar like within a couple years post-oscar um but her her film roles, she had already, I believe, filmed nonstop the Liam Neeson airplane movie. That's actually quite fun. I think she had already filmed that before she won the Oscar. Because uh, that releases, I'm pretty sure, in early 2014. So um, right around the time that she was uh, campaigning for Oscar. Uh, but her next big roles are she's cast as a voice mocap performer in the Star Wars sequels. She is a voice in The Jungle Book. Queen of Cotway, which is a legitimate you know movie a uh, major role uh Disney movie played festivals never really caught Still on Still not the lead um uh, not the lead but like um prominent prominent the second most prominent That's a character a the movie she's good name. in it yeah, too yeah um David Oyelowo on that movie she gets a role in Black Panther I would ultimately love to find out if there's a story behind the fact that she's in Black Panther. Her character is obviously still around, but never shows up in any of the other Marvel movies. And I and and nobody's ever said whether she just didn't want to do them anymore. I don't think, at least I haven't read um, why she doesn't. She'll be in the sequel this year. She'll be in the sequel to Black Panther, but like Deny Guerrero, who is also in Black Panther, and uh, even Winston Duke shows up, I believe, in Endgame, like very briefly, in like a big crowd shot or something like that. Um, but anyway, so Lupita's in, in Black Panther, but doesn't really, like the ones who pop out of Black Panther are Chadwick Boseman, Michael B Jordan, even Angela Bassett to extent like pops more than than uh Lupita Nyong'o. Denai Guerrero ends up having a decently uh spotlight, a decent spotlight in some of the other Avengers movies. Anyway, mm-hmm. um She's in a movie called Little Monsters that I definitely saw that I believe was direct to Hulu or yeah I think it did theaters too. It's a horror movie. It's mm, a not a great movie. <laughs> it's not a great movie. It's like a zombie. She's really comedy. not she's on the poster is her right. and some
1: zombies and like
2: first half hour she's like not in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, she's not the she's not the main character of that. So that's all she does between 12 Years a Slave and us. Like that's it and even since then It's just the 355, which I still haven't seen. And I know it's supposed to be bad, but I definitely still want to see it. Yeah, I definitely want to watch that movie. Um, And then uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is coming later this year. So that's it. That's all of the movies she's done. And it's not like she's done a major television series. You know what I mean? Like, she has just not worked a ton. Now, whether that's she, as a Black actress, is not getting, you know, the roles that are you know appealing to her and that are that are that would be offered to a supporting actress winner who is white almost certainly that plays into it i have to imagine there's a sense of choosiness that also plays into it because you know i don't know i feel like there's a lot of things probably at work here but for whatever I mean, reason.
1: That being said, it still kind of allows her to surprise us in the way that totally. like the performance in this movie is somewhat of a surprise because it's so, I mean, we probably don't have her pinned down to begin with, with the type of actress that she is, but like, it still feels like so outside the realm of like what we thought she would be delivering
2: but that like, you look at that film career of like, The only roles, the only performances that you could possibly consider putting on an Oscar radar of any kind, 12 Years a Slave, Queen of Cotway, Us, that's kind of it. Like, Little Monsters, too small to really exist. 355 is not, you know, is... Not the kind of movie that's ever, even beyond the genre snobbiness of Us. It's just like 355 is not a consideration. Everything else is small stuff in genre, like really small stuff in genre movies. So if you look at it that way, she's super killing it in terms of like batting average, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's just like 12 Years a Slave and Us are both stellar performances. She wins the Oscar for one, she just misses a nomination for the other, and wins a bunch of critics' awards. So, like, Lupita Nyong'o is kind of one of the most reliable actresses in Hollywood in terms of, like, giving you a banger performance when you would give her a modicum of a good role. And
1: yet... I mean, I think it's also, she's building a career that's allowing her to maintain that A-level star that a lot of oscar winners don't there's no tarnish
2: maintain. there's not a, there's not a, right. yeah there's no tarnish on it that's true she doesn't have I mean, she's
1: not going out and fucking making a tomb raider movie that nobody wanted right like.
2: right yes that's the thing yes um the only thing on her imdb for uh, future movies is black panther wakanda forever which should be coming in i believe it's november um so the future is both bright, but also wide open for Lupita Nyong'o. And, uh, you know, I join the chorus of people being like, throw good roles at this woman. Like, absolutely mm-hmm. fall all over yourself to offer this woman a really, really good role. And exciting to, excited to see what the next great performance out of her is. It's just a matter of, like, just get it to her. You know, get those scripts on her. On her agent's desk or whatever. So, yes. Anyway, agreed. Um, what else about this this uh, actress? I mentioned the Mary
1: Kay. I would place say because we were talking about. I know that they tried to push this for original screenplay for Jordan Peele too, and it's surprising it didn't get more. Um, it didn't get more traction, even though. If I think about this movie, I think of it more as a directorial achievement than necessarily a writing achievement. Yeah. Just because, like, you see that the trajectory of his skill as a director um, on the rise. And I agree. Makes, <laughs> that's, like, the number one reason I'm excited for Nope, um, aside from all the other reasons to be excited for it. The thing that this should have gotten some traction for, and I know I'm the one who gets more minutiae into the below-the-line categories, Mark Abel's score in oh, this movie yes. fucking rips. Yes. Like,
2: holy shit. Um, that did show up a decent number of times uh, on like some of these um, like regional regional awards, right? It's a uh, runner-up right, right, for right. Austin Film Critics. It wins the Black Reel Award for score. It's... Um, Nominated at Broadcast Film at a uh, Critics Choice, runner up in Believe Chicago, um, one Columbus Film Critics Association for best score, which also gave thank a key you, I best voted actress. for it. Um, uh, what else? What else? What else? Something called the Fright Meter Awards that wins best score. So like, uh, uh, say that. Um, what else? What else? What else? Runner up at Greater Western New York Film Critics Association Awards. See if they would. Uh, Allow me emeritus status there because I am an alumni of that great region. That uh, uh, maybe I'd be able to push it over the top. Um, so yeah. So it. The definitely... other thing I
1: would just say, yes. in ter- because we talked, I wanted to mention this when we were talking about Best Actress. Like, it's just such a. Uh, granted, I love, 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 um, Sersha Ronan's performance in Little Women, yeah. and I do think Scarlett Johansson is quite good in Marriage Story. The one that I knock out is still Charlize. Like, yeah. Yeah. We who love and we've been the people like constantly thumping the like Charlize Theron drum for things like Young Adult and Tully. Yep. Palmshell is just like yep. not a definitive nope, not Charlize Theron performance. No. I don't really think she's doing much. It is fully the transformation, which itself is not that much... It's a I
2: reputation mean, nomination, which I do like that she's gotten to the point where she gets reputation nominations. Although maybe I should same. maybe I should stop being like good for her. It's just like she's doing fine. You know what I mean? Maybe she doesn't need it. Right. She doesn't right, need right. that uh, nomination. And so,
1: yes, like I understand just on a performance level, everyone else being nominated on a performance level. I don't understand Charlize Theron getting nominated for that performance. I agree.
2: I absolutely do agree. Yes. Um, my nominees that year, I went and looked up uh, on the Blankies Wiki because I was—I uh, gave forth my nominations uh, for the acting awards on their podcast. So uh, Elizabeth Moss was my winner for her smell. Uh, Lupita was a nominee. Mary Kay Place for Diane. Florence Pugh for Midsommar. And this was Alfre Woodard in Clemency. This was also yep. um, Justice. You, you talk about like Critics Choice should be throwing their wide net to less expected things, like Alfre Woodard and Clemency, for Christ's sake. Come on.
1: I need to keep a better record of this, because now I can't remember what my fifth was, because it was definitely Elizabeth Moss, Lupita, and Alfrey Woodard, and I probably at the time put Florence Pugh for Midsummer. and I don't know what I put as my fifth. Interesting.
2: I'm trying to think of what other... That was also the year of um, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, so... I am Quite possibly Adele Delhanel. Quite possibly, yes. Um Were you a Jesse Buckley Wild Rose person?
1: Um yes, but I did not put her on my ballot. Yeah, okay. Um
2: anyway. One thing I wanted to and we really don't have a ton of time to talk about, but I didn't want to talk about it because this will probably be our only chance to do it. Um, this was a Jason Blum produced movie. Jason Blum and and uh and Jordan Peele had uh, gotten together on both get out and us in this age of, I feel like we are in a post sort of like name brand producer era a little bit. We're kind of even with like Bruckheimer still doing stuff, but like, you know, I don't know. I feel like we, we don't have a ton of name brand producers in a way. And like, I really, even the thing about Blum and uh, and Blumhouse is even when it's not stuff I love, I'm still really impressed at the way he's able to um, build up a stable of filmmakers and also, you know, really elevate these genre movies in the way that he does were like, obviously the paranormal activity movies were a big, you know, uh, success early on and that sort of phenomenon, but like the purge movies are Jason Blum. Um, the, uh, like a lot of the like early Mike Flanagan movies, um, the later M night Shyamalan movies, um, the, uh, you know, the Lee Whannell movies, like, even something like Upgrade, do you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. um, Happy Death Day, which I didn't really like, but, like, that got pretty popular, and that was pretty cool. Or, like, Freaky, which is another thing that I don't like. But, like, I do like that these movies are able to sort of make an impact in a world where you could easily see stuff like that falling by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, something like ma I'm so super glad you know what I mean that like that movie exists in the world um I don't know it's just an interesting and I think Jordan Peele is definitely like one of the superstar sort of Blumhouse guys right yeah I mean there's there's still see
1: Blum uh, Jason Blum's like production span has gotten so huge that there's also like a lot of bad stuff that Blumhouse puts out totally um and like stuff that people don't like, like a lot of their Amazon output. But sure, yes. no, yeah, like you're you're right to mention Jason Blum in the like factor of superstar producer because it's not a thing anymore. Right. Like we don't really even have Megan Ellison anymore. Right. Um. Even though Megan Ellison is still producing things, yeah. and you'll see Megan Ellison show up in some credits, but like, yeah, it's not talked about.
2: Uh, we're talking about this as like I think the Black Phone released this weekend which i am excited yes. to see i feel like the variance on whether i will love or hate it is all over the map i could see myself falling on <laughs> anywhere but also uh the one uh upcoming for next year is uh jason blum produced uh megan the one with the creepy doll on the poster oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> right, which is written by the writer,
1: future gay icon
2: Megan from the writer of Malignant and um, story by James Wan. Uh, and I am again, my the possibilities are endless as to how I will uh, respond to that. That's also Alison Williams' talk a next lot movie.
1: lately about like, oh, well, this was just like made for memes and blah 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 blah, which generally I think is a f- a dunderheaded, full, stupid comment to make about something. And yet. Until I saw that Megan photo. Yep.
2: Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. They knew what they were doing. I agree. Um, Oh, I should also throw a shout out. uh, The Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man was uh, Jason Blum. and Uh, You like a lot more than I do. Love that movie slash performance. Alright. Anyway, what else before we get into the IMDb game? I'm gonna go through my little notes
1: people that don't like this movie are wrong i don't say that often
2: (laughs) oh the scene um towards the end where they're showing they're flashing back to the night that um that adelaide and red uh made the switch in the tunnels right um the scenes of the people the tethered in the tunnels acting out what's happening above at the carnival is so unsettling and creepy <laughs> and impressive and like it just like it it it's really it made a mark i thought i thought that was an incredible scene what did you think of that scene
1: oh i love that scene it's great okay.
2: Thank you. Like um, many
1: of the scenes in this movie, I think it's
2: good. All right, all right, all right, all right, fine. Um, anything else you want to say?
1: Uh, no. Okay.
2: Uh, nope. In theaters
1: next week. We are not uh, sponsored by Universal Pictures, no. but I am Yet. needless to say, very excited.
2: Very excited. I got to figure out my, my viewing plan where I'm going to be, what I'm going to see, who I'm going to see it with. I'll probably see it alone because I see most things alone.
1: I normally avoid crowds f- even pre-COVID, yeah. but like, I might actually try to see this with a crowd. Yeah,
2: this might be an 84th Street movie for me. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, Alright. Chris, there's a little thing yeah. we do called the IMDB game. Would you like to explain those rules? Uh, Sure. Okay.
1: Every week oh my we gosh. end our episodes with the IMDB game, where we challenge each other with an actor. We're really going to wait try to see guess how the long top you went titles. with that? Uh, yeah, I did not want to make this a two-hour episode because of me explaining it. Uh, <laughs> Once where upon to the... a
2: time. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> what if I played the whole game?
2: No, doing we're not that. doing that. No. Uh...
0: Your years are <laughs> 1994. Oh. Uh,
1: where, if any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of Hints. That's the
2: IMDb game. It sure is. Uh, Chris, would you like to give first or guess first?
1: Ah. Uh? Uh, How about, I guess,
2: first this week? Okay, so what was the path that I took to this one? Let's see. Oh, okay. So uh, one of Jordan Peele's earliest acting roles was in Uh um, the great film. I can't stand by that. I don't even know if I saw this movie. Um, Little Fockers. Jordan Peele is in... Little Fockers, this being...
1: Great is not a word that anyone should use to describe the motion picture Little Fockers. If they do, um, throw them in the hay. I
2: was being sarcastic. I'm surprised you didn't catch that. Okay, Um. so one of the stars of that film is... Barbara. Somebody who we've recently talked about on this podcast, one Mr. Owen Wilson. Ooh. Oh God,
1: this is gonna be hard. Yeah, a um, lot
2: of movies out there for Owen Wilson.
1: <sighs> <sighs> mm. None and of, it's a question of how much like Wes Anderson is there,
2: and none of them are voice uh, credits, so it's not his um, Hotbox Coach in uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. One of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite Owen Wilson performances. Uh Who
1: I meant to bring this up when we were talking about sorry him in whack the last bat episode. hot box is
2: the thing you yell whack bat is the sport I'm sorry
1: I was wrong. <laughs> uh, good movie. Um, somebody recently I saw do an Owen Wilson impersonation and I was fully gagged. Was it Melissa
2: um, Villaseñor? Maybe she does a good one on SNL. Oh, I don't think no, you know SNL. who it was? It was um. Oh, fuck. I just saw it, too. Shit.
1: It was, like, good enough to call out, and it's driving me crazy. I can't remember who it, it was. It was somebody who
2: had worked with him on something, and they were, um, shit. Now, who am I thinking of? All right, you, you make some guesses. I'll... I'll uh,
1: Garys, if you can think of it, please yell at us so that we can uh, share it with the populace. Yes. Um I'm gonna guess Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers has shown up for other people before.
2: Correct.
1: Okay. Royal Tenenbaums.
2: Royal Tenenbaums, correct.
1: I feel like Starsky and Hutch showed up for Ben Stiller, but it showed up for somebody, but I'm, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket for now. The Wes Anderson thing is playing into my developing theory that Known for has changed in that they've somehow worked the algorithm that only one entry in a fan- franchise shows up, and Wes Anderson is not a franchise, but he's not not a franchise. Um mm, I have no wrong
2: guesses. There's got to be... What about Ooh? Mm, Marley and Me? It is not Marley and Me, although I think that's a very good guess. That's strike one.
1: It made a lot of money. He's the top-billed person and is probably mm-hmm. in every production photo. Yep. Um. I'm tempted to pick another Wes Sanderson and say, mm, I don't know about guessing Bottle Rocket, but Bottle Rocket's the one I feel like I should guess. I'm just going to say The Life Aquatic.
2: No, not The Life Aquatic. Two strikes. All right, your missing years are 1996 and 2004.
1: 96 is Bottle Rocket. Yes. Is 2004 star and I. Yes,
2: it is. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, he's going to so go annoying. three for three to start this off. I hate him That's so
1: much. That's so annoying, especially because like what makes Owen
2: Wilson difficult is
1: it could be anything.
2: Also, the Owen Wilson impression that I was thinking of might not be the one that you're thinking of, but uh, it was Tom Hiddleston.
1: Maybe. Tom
2: Hiddleston does no. a surprisingly good Owen Wilson. But anyway. um, All right. That's annoying. Yeah, it is. That's fun. All right. What do you All get? right, um,
1: So for you, someone I was actually shocked that we have not done uh, both weeks since I said we were resetting the table and we were divided about that, I somehow have chosen people Still? that we've never done. <laughs> um, so for you, since the movie Us stars two people from the large ensemble of Black Panther, I chose someone else from the large ensemble of Black Panther... Miss Angela Bassett, Have living we legend. Done, we've
2: never One done of Angela of Bassett. One of
1: my favorites. We've never done Angela Bassett.
2: All movies. All movies. Okay. Well, what's love got to do with it? Her only Oscar nomination.
1: You want to talk about annoying? It's not. It's not on her known for.
2: Wow. Normally they, they really hew to the Oscar nominees.
1: I've also felt like it's been a big pandemic movie for people. Like I've mm. seen a lot of people watching it during the pandemic. Uh including it's featured in the premiere of this season's P Valley that they're watching it, you know, oh, no as kidding. like a comfort watch.
2: That's um, funny. It's an odd choice for a comfort watch because there's a lot of upsetting things that happen in that movie.
1: I think it's just like a staple for people. Sure. Like it was a staple for me just from VH1. Sure. Um, Yeah. And like, I mean, it's one of the greatest screen performances of all time. She's so good. She's very good.
2: All right. Um, Waiting to exhale. No, really?
1: (laughs) You've been on a tear of almost getting perfect scores. I think you have earned one. Where this is shocking. Your first two are
2: not. Yeah,
1: like the two. These are the two two most most obvious. Angela Bassett's are not on her
2: known for. Yes, crazy. All right, give me the. So I'm
1: going to give you your years. Your years are 1995, 1997, 2013, and 2018.
2: 2018 is Black Panther.
1: I can't believe you didn't guess that right out of the
2: box. I was going to guess it right after Waiting to Exhale was obviously going to be a correct guess. So I I had three guesses off the bat. I'm like, well, it's going to be What's Love Got to Do With It Waiting to Exhale, Black Panther. like that, And then it's a matter of guessing the fourth. Okay. All right. So 95, 97. Is 97 how Stella got her groove back? It is not. Oh. All right. Well, I guess Terry McMillan can go fuck herself, which honestly, maybe Terry McMillan can go fuck herself. So... um uh, maybe go be a homophobic on Oprah a little bit more, Terry. Okay. Um, what else do we got? 95, 97, and oh, 2013? Yes. Angela Bassett. 95? 95, 95. So 95 is the same year as Waiting to Exhale.
1: It is.
2: What else would she have been in?
1: If I remember correctly, the same holiday season.
2: Oh, oh, hmm. Holiday season. Is it like holiday themed? Is it like a family no. film?
1: However, it could be probably no more different of a movie oh, than Waiting for Oh, it's Strange Days. Tail. It is Strange Days. The highly strange days. unavailable Strange Days...
2: That's too bad cuz it's a great movie. I really like that movie.
1: I had some snags with it when I like got a hold of a very 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 crummy library copy of well, this
2: movie. It's it's grungy. It's like there's it's 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 nasty. It, it, it's but... a,
1: definitely a movie of its time, but like it should be more available so that people yeah. can like watch and discuss this movie because it is interesting to unpack.
2: Yes. But
1: like it's got to be it's got to be just one of those things that it's it's fully music rights why it's not available.
2: Uh okay. It's always um, the
1: music rights man.
2: Great performances in that movie. Okay. 97, 97 2013. 2013. 97 2013. What in 2013 am I going to get an Angela Bassett out of? Um Is she a, is she a lead in both of these? She is not. In
1: either either okay
2: all right is she like someone's mom in the 2013 couldn't tell you because i haven't
1: seen it but i'm gonna guess no both of these i'm positive are angela bassett bureaucrat roles
2: oh contact
1: contact is 97
2: iconic angela bassett bureaucrat role she almost almost Walks to the edge of saying, "That's the job." Oh, is no twenty thirteen isn't that's the job? That's too bad. No, um, but all like in Contact, she almost literally says to Jodie Foster, "That's the job," um, which is kind of amazing. Um, I want to watch Contact now. All right, twenty thirteen is it like a disaster movie of some sort? Yeah, Is she like? Is it? Is it like one of the Olympus Has Fallen's?
1: It is Olympus Has Fallen.
2: All right, there we go. Olympus Has Fallen. Crazy.
1: Two things aside from Waiting to Exhale and um, What's Love Got to Do With It that should be on Angela Bassett's known for. One, just her saying that's the job. Not the Mission Impossible movie where she says that's the job, but just yeah. her saying that's the job. Is the other and... one the Macbeth monologue that I tweet yes. as often as possible? <laughs> where it's she, like, on the no... spot. On the spot. On the spot. Drop of a hat launches into a Macbeth monologue.
2: Every
0: movie. <laughs> do all, that was his line. I darest do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is not. When you durst do it, then you were a man. And to be more than what you were, you would be so much more the man. No time, no place, that then it here. And yet you would make both. They've made themselves. And that their fitness now does unmake you. I have given suck. And know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me. I would, while it was smiling in my face, have dashed my nipple from its boneless gums, have plucked my nipple from its boneless gums and dashed its brains out, had I so sworn as you have to this. But if we should fail, we fail. But screw your courage to the sticking And we'll not fail. And then on and on and on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yay!
1: One of my favorites, for a fucking reason. If we have an inch of maybe Angela Bassett will get an Oscar this year, I will take a fucking mile. Um,
2: What is she in this year? Does she have anything on the Oh, I didn't
1: mean, like, this year. But, like, if it happens, like, it should for anything listen i'm gonna all be right. so what we, beyond
2: <laughs> what does she have coming up all right um black panther wakanda forever right she's filming something oh god she's filming something where like millie bobby Brown and nick robinson are the first two build which uh does not give me a whole lot of uh, uh and who are playing a prince and a princess okay that is not what's gonna get uh angela bassett her oscar that's fine that's fine um also in that movie though are Robin Wright and Shori Agadashloo so you know there's gonna be some We're intense, gonna watch this movie Intense Adult Conversations and Ray Winstone, like all I want to do is watch those those three and Angela Bassett just like talk at each other. <laughs> That'll be fun. Can you imagine Shori Agadashloo and Ray Winstone just like debating each other on something? Like I want a movie
1: where Angela Bassett and Shora Agadashloo are lovers.
2: Well, obviously. Uh, Strange days too. Okay, um, <laughs> if that
1: happened, Christina Tucker and I would set the internet ablaze. <laughs> we would lose our
2: minds. <laughs> all right, all right. We 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 got to stop. We got almost two hours. We were like another. This will be a quick one. Probably we'll a short one. We'll
1: give our listeners a break, but. Sorry. Sorry, listeners.
2: All right, that is our episode. If you want more of this Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at Had underscore Oscar underscore Buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff?
1: I am on Letterbox and Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L.
2: I am on Twitter and Letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so tether yourself to your coffee table until you write something nice about us, won't you? That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz.
0: You want to win a winner, baby, that's so no lie that's good. No you never fail to satisfy.